Welcome to A Canadian Investing in the U.S., a podcast and YouTube channel focused on Canadians buying real estate with host Glenn Sutherland. Welcome to a new episode of A Canadian Investing in the U.S. This week, your guest and host is myself, Glenn Sutherland. Um, So I wanted to go over them. I think it's honestly the most asked question I ever get um, from anyone that I meet uh, about investing in the U.S. is, if I could start this all over again, if I could, you know, start investing in the United States, um, what would I do differently? How would I do it? And if, if from their perspective, what should they do now? Right. So what I don't want to do with this episode is I don't want to give you a time machine answer. What a time machine answer is where someone goes, oh, back um, if I was, I'd go back to 2010 and buy, I think, I mean, I'm not doing any of that. I don't want to, um, I want to, everything that I'm giving you is going to be something that's timely so that you can like take it. Um, and if you were going to start right now, you could use it. So this is, if I was going to start over right now, this is what I, I was thinking. So this is not financial advice. This is just my personal opinion. It's sort of things I've learned and things I just want to share with you guys. So hopefully this helps. I'm sure it will. Anyway, um, first thing, take the leap. First thing is take the leap. Take the leap sooner. Take the leap now because um, it will not be perfect. Your first, if you want to, you know, release a podcast, if you want to do, um, you know, buy some real estate in the United States, whatever it's you're trying to do, the first time will not be perfect. Promise it. I promise you that it will not be perfect. It's going to be uh, imperfect, and it's going to be a learning experience. Um, there is lots of ways, which I'm going to get into, where how I would have done this differently in order to make fewer mistakes. But your first purchase isn't going to be perfect, and I think um, that's a problem that a lot of people have, that they they want this guarantee, and it's real estate. There is no guarantee. There is no guarantee that you will sell the property for a certain price. There is no guarantee that you'll rent the property for a certain price. Um, that's why you have higher returns, higher risk, higher returns. So um, first of all, forget that. It will be imperfect right? Um, as you do this, as you grow, if you want to do coaching with me, we will make this a lot easier and a lot fewer mistakes. Um, but your first one will not be perfect. Guarantee it. One thing that came into time, like as I grew, right? Because a lot of people say, hey, how long have you been doing this in the United States? How long? So another question is, how long have you been running a business in the United States? And that is a different question than how long have you been investing or how long have you since you bought your first property in the United States? They're totally different questions. Because when I first started in the United States, I was buying properties, but I wasn't running a business, right? So systems sooner. What is systems, processes? It's getting organized. It's getting that every time you buy a property, you 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 go through the exact same checklist. You go through the exact same steps. You have a Google Drive. For me, I have a Google Drive has all the folders. It's fill in the folders, everything. You want to do one property with me? It looks the same. You want to do the second, the third, the fourth? Be a McDonald's. Make it all look the same. Make it so it's understandable when someone comes and looks at it and they're doing a second or third property, they know where everything is. Make it easy, the exact same, and make it for yourself too, right? So that's from their perspective, but for yourself. You're doing this yourself. Um, you're going to be sending the same emails over and over again for each property, right? So what are these emails you're sending? Start making templates for all these emails. Start everything you do. Start just writing down all the emails you sent, all the things you checked, 
how the process you went through, your deal analysis. Don't be creating a new Excel sheet from scratch every time. You know, make a template that's really good and then use the template over and over again. Everything you do, all the systems, the way you call the people, the way your communication with people, document it all, especially on the first ones, because then when you, as you finish a project, you can reflect on that and then you can improve it so that it's much better every single time. So anyway, this one uh, I debate a little bit as well is quit my job sooner. Um, <clears throat> it's a tough, it's a tough thing to say because uh, honestly, there's a, a ton of fear in doing that. But once I actually did quit my job, um, my real estate exploded. Um, my income got it, it just right. Even after off the bat, we like five X or more of what my nine to five income used to be. But it's not as simple as just quitting your job and going, um, you have to have your ducks in a row beforehand. And um, honestly, my wife was the big contributor to this, who really made sure that we were going to be okay, right? Because I, I had the full-time job, right? I was the one that, that we needed this to work, right? So, um, you know, having your, oh, and you know what, I'm not going to go into all the things you need to do this. I did an episode on quitting your job before, but there's a lot to think about before you, right? Um, and moving. So I was talking, like I said, to my wife about this. And she said, I'm like, well, I think I should have quit my job sooner. And she said, if you did, we would still live in Cambridge. So before you do, you know, get your move to your final destination. You don't know what your financing situations are going to become uh, when you go from being an, a T4 or W2 employee to a self-employed. Get everything in order have all your lines of credit set up, have everything, you know, going on side. There's another episode on this. Good to go find that. Right. Um, another thing I would have done was I would have skipped doing Airbnbs altogether. Um, I'm not going to go deep into that, but I, it wasn't a good experience for myself. Um, I, another thing I would have done is double up on my teams right from the start. And the thing is I should have learned from myself. Um, so when I first started in Huntsville, Alabama, I had two teams, two property managers, multiple contractors, and, and I started like that and it works really well. But um, the hard part is, is as you grow. So say you do your first property, you do it with one contractor, one property manager, the whole team, right? And then you go to do your second property. And as humans, we're naturally, I don't know if the word lazy is the right answer, but we like to use the same thing. If it worked once, we could do it again, right? So you use the same property manager, contractor, realtor, wholesaler, attorney, title company, the exact same one for the second one. And then you do a third. And then you say, okay, and fourth and fifth. And then you're like, start scaling it. And you're going to go five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. But when do you switch to have start doing a parallel where you have two teams, right? Because when does that come in? Do you say, oh, I have to wait until I have 10 properties and then I'm going to start my 11th with there? Um, with a lot of it, it's just planning, right? You can do whatever you want. But in all honesty, I would start right from the start. Do um, If I was doing it again, because this is what this episode's about, I would do the first property with one team and the second property with the second team, right? That's my, my personal opinion. Um, if you have other comments on this, do comment below, because I'd love to have a conversation about that. Anyway, um, double up on your teams, have a failover system. It, it's, it's crucial, because people do what they say they're going to do for so long, and then... Um, People are people, right? Anyway, another thing I would have done 
differently, or I would do differently, and I'm constantly working on doing differently, is spend money on things that save time. So what does that mean? I'm talking about hiring a virtual assistant. Like I have, um, when I first started doing my original rip of my webpage, I did it myself. Like I can, I can, it's, this isn't rocket science, but honestly, a VA can do this. I have a VA that does my website now, right? Um, it's much easier. It saves me time, right? It, it makes sense. Um, they probably do a much better job than me too. Software. Software that it organizes yourself, software that does, you know, pulls the comps for you so that you don't look lazy to, you know, realtors and everyone else. Show, so it shows that you've done some work, right? Spend some money on some software. Spend money on software to organize and, 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 and make yourself better. Um, coaching. Um, I would have hired a coach sooner. Um, honestly, whenever I was starting in the United States, I wanted to hire um, a specific coach. But as I went through and watched all their material online, it was a huge chunk of it about wholesaling. And I just wasn't personally interested in doing wholesaling at that point. So it, it didn't make sense. But I, right from the start, I did want to hire a coach to do this because there is a lot of mistakes that can be made. And there's a lot of learning. And it's just a totally different system. It's a, it's a totally different. The lending is done differently. The everything. Anyone who's done my course knows that there's like, there's a reason that the course is, I don't know, 25 hours long of just videos before we actually start helping you actually buy properties, right? So there is a lot of differences um, between Canada and the US. And even if you're a really experienced uh, Canadian investor, you know, for the price of it, it it'll save you more and save you a ton of time. Um, so honestly, uh, I would spend money on coaching and courses, right? Another thing is, um, it's a mindset thing. So a lot of times when you're starting, you don't have uh, a lot of money right? Or at least a lot of money to invest in real estate, right? So you have you have other expenses and whatever. But a common thing, even that I've said to myself is once I get to a certain point and I have a certain amount of cash flow, then I'll invest in some education. And honestly, it's completely backwards because once you've made your dollar, once you've left your job, you don't need necessarily to go do the pay for coaching, right? Because you've already figured it all out. The thing is that if you did use a coach, you could get there so much faster, right? Um, you can be instead of like, hey, I'm going to uh, buy, like I did. When I bought my first property, I bought a turnkey property. And then, um, I, you know, because of that, it wasn't as good a deal as I could have bought. Um, but I took some action, right? Um, but it wasn't as good a deal as I could have bought. Um, I didn't have financing, so I used my home equity line of credit from Canada. Um, and then I did that a few times before I actually started doing real estate, making a real estate business. And it was, honestly, I burnt through two or three years of wasted time that if I was working with a coach, I could have just started into a business right off the bat. So it, 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 just, it was just a waste of time, right? Um, and speaking of that, uh, I wouldn't have done as many turnkey properties at the start. So when I first started in the US, I bought one property and then I bought a package of two properties, um, which were all turnkey. And then I bought a third property that was pretty close to turnkey. We just had to do a light renovation and it was ready to go. Um, and like I said, it it held me back. It stinted the growth. It mean that meant that um, money was stuck in the properties. They didn't have the ability to refinance. The only way you have the ability to refinance um, a turnkey property, because typically you're buying it pretty close to what it's worth, is the market to go up. If you're buying right now, it's a terrible idea um, because maybe I shouldn't say that. Maybe I'll backtrack on that, but you, it's, it's going to be tougher to, if you want to do, get your money back, it's going to be tougher. You're waiting for a future date. 
Um, you're going to get your cash flow and it depends on your goals. If your goal is to leave your job, um, buying a turnkey property is not going to get you there quickly. Um, if your goal is to place your money and it's a, it's a retirement vehicle and it's going to grow really well, that could work really well for you, right? So anyway, for me, I would have skipped because I was looking to leave my job. I would have skipped the turnkey, hired a coach and started uh, start doing a business right off the start and skipped buying real estate and started doing real estate as a business. Um, and what do I mean by that? I mean, buy a property, renovate a property, refinance a pot property, have do a fix and flip loan, do a refinance on the property, have it work out, uh, have property management on the property, do a flip, buy the property, renovate the property, sell the property, whatever strategy you're trying to do, do it from start to finish with all steps. So don't say, hey, I'm going to, whenever I bring in other people, I'm going to do um, a renovation loan, like a fix and flip loan on the property. But whenever I do it myself, I'm not going to do that. Do the whole thing all the way through, do a proof of concept the right way. And then you can present this as something that's done, completed, and then you can go ahead and, you know, find some people to work with you and repeat the process, right? And while you're doing this, like I said earlier, document the whole process so you have a way to go with this, right? Um, podcast. So as you guys know, you're listening to my podcast right now. Would um, I have some changes that I would have done with the podcast. So um, first of all, right from the very start, episode one, I don't know if anyone's ever listened to episode one. It's amazing, um, but it should have been 20 episodes. Um, the original idea of this podcast was it was going to be like shorts and they were each episode would be like five minutes long. And uh, the first episode, I think, is 42 minutes or something in that ballpark. And I had to change it to a podcast. So um, honestly, it should have been like 10, 20 podcasts uh, right off the start, split it up, go deeper into the topics instead of kind of glancing over them as I was going. Um, but that doesn't matter. I would also started sooner with the podcast. So a lot of people don't know this, but I bought the equipment to do the podcast more than a year before the first air episode ever aired. Um, I bought the stuff. I was um, scared to not have it perfect. I needed this to come out and be polished and perfect. And I was hung up because I needed software to edit this. And I, I didn't know how to do this. And I didn't know how to do that. And I, I just held off on doing it. And honestly, if you want to do this, record it and just put it out, right? It's not going to be perfect. And honestly, a lot of people respond better to imperfect than perfect, right? Um, so just do it and put it out. But if I was doing this over again, I wouldn't do a podcast at all, which might completely shock you. Um, doing a podcast is the slowest way to possibly grow your brand. Um, when I did the first show, there was like one person that listened to it. By the end of the first year, we had like 20 people per episode listening to it. By the second year, there was like 100 people per episode. And it just kept growing until it was, you know, I think we do 4,000 views a week now. But it took forever. If you want to do this, if I was starting over, you want to leverage other people's podcasts who have put that time in. Why not find out? Just go on ChatGPT and say, list the top business, 50 business podcasts in Canada or even the U.S., um, on real estate, do your proof of concept like we talked in the other one. Come on to like 50 other episodes, other people's podcasts, get like 4,000 listens per every single time you talk. Get 4,000 people to listen instead of like three when you first start. Um, 
and leverage other people's podcasts. It makes way more sense than going through the trouble of building this from scratch because it's painful and it's slow um, in order to get it going. Unless you pay for somebody to do all that or I don't know, I think there's a way to promote it. I don't do any of that. It grew organically and it took forever. So maybe you know more about this than I do, but anyway, that's what I'm saying. Um, accountability, buddy. So uh, I had Matt as an accountability buddy and he came into my life after investing in US real estate for about four years. Um, I think I've talked about him several times. I've even had him on the as a podcast guest twice on the show, but it was the game changer. It was honestly what took me from just, you know, oh, doing some podcasts, doing a little bit of real estate to doing real estate. And what is an accountability buddy? Accountability buddy is when you you meet up with them on a regular basis. It could be weekly, it could be monthly. But what used to happen to me is when I had the meeting with Matt, I would sit there and if I knew the next day that I said, oh, I'm going to call three customers, I'm going to analyze six deals. And there's no point in lying because you're just lying to yourself. And you, I had my goals that I set every single week. I set what I was going to do the following week. And then we do a follow-up on what I did. And then we talk about what I did. And we talk about what I'm going to do the following week. And we do it for him too, because it has to be a win-win, right? That's what accountability buddy is. It's the difference between accountability and a coach. And accountability buddies are just another guy in a similar business doing this. And my accountability buddy was a wholesaler and I was a real estate investor. It was a perfect match because we didn't feel any competition, right? And we were helping each other. But what happened, long story short, is um, we pushed each other. Um, after doing being accountability buddies for a year, I quit my job and he quit his job. Like we both had the goal. We both worked hard. If you're coming into your meeting and you haven't done what you said you were going to do the week before, you felt guilty. That night, if say I was meeting on a Wednesday night or something to talk to him, on Tuesday night, I would be just doing everything. All the deal analysis, whatever I promised that I would have done for that week, I was working my butt off to get it done. And it would be, you know, sometimes last minute until you build a system to run it properly. Um, but you accountability bodies are so powerful and it's honestly, I wouldn't be where I am uh, without Matt. So if Matt's listening to this, I don't know if he listens to the podcast still, there's my shout out to you, buddy. Buy a giant whiteboard and, and a, a magnetic one. Um, you're going to find if you're managing multiple projects, just like, Hey, there was a water clog on this property. You know, the property manager is handling it. And you know what? If you say, hey, can you go do this? And, you know, they'll come back to you. Oh, they'll, they'll, they'll advise you of the situation. You pay for the situation. They go do it. You usually don't hear out back from them. Um, you need to start by having a follow-up system. And the easiest follow-up system just to make sure you don't forget about some of these little things. Because there's all kinds of little things. Um, you can use your calendar. Um, I use my calendar as well. Um, but there's certain little things that you just need to mark off. Uh, and just your to-do lists and Honestly, the whiteboard was a, a godsend. I think my wife bought it for me for my birthday or something like that. I think they're like 50 bucks or I bought mine like five years ago, but they were like 50 bucks on Amazon, like a big one. I think it's like three feet by five feet, like a good size whiteboard. So you really get down whatever you're working on, right? Anyway, other things that were really powerful and really advanced my business were setting goals. Um, I just, with my coaching group, I just sent out some messages. I'm like, hey, for our first mastermind of uh, January. I'm like, set your goals for January, right? So, you know, probably could have done it earlier, but um, monthly goals, quarterly goals, annual goals, five-year goals. If you know exactly what you're doing, you can reverse engineer this. Hey, I want to have, you know, be doing 10 properties per year, you know, whatever your goal is, right? Well, 
if you want to do 10 properties per year, let's reverse engineer this. How many offers do you have to make in order to get 10 properties? If it's 10 offers, you're not lower, you're not offering low enough, right? You need to be offering a low. So you're only getting like one or five, one in five, one in 10, you know, offering cheap. So say it's one in 10, right? And then um, for the deals you analyze to even see if they're worth making an offer is how many off, how many deals do you have to analyze? Say it's one in 10 is actually a decent deal that you can actually see yourself making an offer on to get a discount. So if to make, get a single house, you need to do 10 uh, offers and analyze 10 deals to make 10 offers. That means you need to do a hundred, analy analyze a hundred properties in order to do this. So if you want to do 10 in a year, you can figure this out. How many do you need to do every single week? How much you know, are you doing this? Because people that, that come to me and say, I'm not getting the results I'm I'm looking for. And I go, how many have you done? And the honest answer almost every single time is like, I've offered on one property. How many did you analyze? One property. That's not good enough. It's not, it's not sustainable. You can hire someone to do this analysis. You can have a VA do this analysis. If you do that, do double check their work, right? Because this is, um, unless you're a wholesaler, like you're wholesaling these deals, if your analysis is wrong, it's on the buyer because they should have done their due diligence. But if this is you, if you're the active partner, you need to double check this, right? Um, or even if you hire someone to do this, double check their work. Everything has to be perfect. Um, hire a realtor, double check your work. Have um, contractors, they'll double check your work by getting you contract quotes. Everything needs to be double checked, triple checked. Um, because you can't make mistakes on this sort of stuff. But set goals. Um, do a vision board. Everyone thinks, oh, that's so hokey. That I'm like, I'll do it. I won't do it. Um, seriously, um, I used to do a vision board and a progress board. Oh, I still do. Sorry, I still do this. So what is that? So a vision board, it talks about what my big goals are. Like, I want this swimming pool. I want um, to invest a half a million dollars. This is what's on my board. I want to invest a half a million dollars in my students' uh projects. You're like, what? Yeah. I want my pro my program to be the most successful. And sometimes the holdup, a lot of time, the holdup is finding the money. So if I have the money, let me be the solution. Let's me be the investor because um, I can do both ways. I can be the active or the passive, right? A lot of people don't know that, right? Um, but anyway, uh, I want them to be successful, but vision boards, plan what you're looking for. Same thing. You can reverse engineer it. And you'll find that you actually get what you want when you know what you want. And it's detailed. And put it in front of your face. Um, <clears throat> I'm in the studio right now. But if I was up in my office, it sits right above my computer screen. Right? I see it every single time I sit down. So I have my vision board there. My progress board I used to have in my pickup truck. I don't have my pickup truck anymore. But um, I had it in my pickup truck. And it was on my visor. So whenever I flip down the visor to because the sun or whatever reflection off the snow reflection you know just sunny day in the summer i would see it and it would be like how what are the steps like you know i need to analyze this many deals i need to make offers on this many deals i need to um i need, what do i need to be successful and make it so you just color it off i kept a sharpie in the center console and i cross it off and be like no i did that one and you get in your vehicle and you you're in it if you're in your like your vehicle all the time like i was this is how you will get to your goals. So do a vision board, do a progress board. And um, the one thing that Ari, um, the, one of the co-hosts on Advanced Real Estate Investing Talk and my wife really pushed me into, uh, which also changed my life, was schedules. Because when you sit down at your desk, you're going to find that you do everything. 
you're like, I'm doing email. I'm working on everything that I could possibly work on. And you start to work on something and an email pops up and then you switch and you're like, oh, I got to pay these taxes. And you pay these taxes and you're like, oh, what was I working on that other email? And you go over there and then you're like, oh, what was my to-do list for today? And then you work over there and then you're like, oh, uh, but I also have some stuff in my calendar and you work over there and you're all over or you're working just down a list. And you know what happens if you do a list, just a poo-poo on lists. When you do lists, the hardest stuff on the list gets kicked over to the list the next day and it gets kicked over the list the next day and it gets kicked over the next day. These big tasks need to be broken down. So if you want to write a book, if you want to, you know, whatever it is, you need to read a book, you need to analyze set times in your schedule and you know who's going to screw this up. It's going to be you. You need to sit down at those times and do whatever your schedule says you need to do. If it says, oh, from seven to eight o'clock every Monday night, I need to analyze properties. You need to sit down at seven to eight o'clock and analyze properties. And honestly, that is the key to being successful is actually doing the work. Most people will sit there and not know what, anyway, I'm not going into that. Um, but yeah, um, schedules, very, very powerful. I set them for everything because I like to batch. When I want to edit podcasts like this one, I'm going to have a time set in my schedule where I sit down and I edit each one. If I'm going to edit one podcast, it'll take me, I don't know, half hour or something, maybe an hour. But if I'm going to edit like six podcasts, it'll take me like two hours instead of one hour for one. It's batching. It's your mind gets into the zone and you're doing the repetitive things. You know that you add the, the title at the start. You add the exit music at the end. You have little Freddie saying, that was a great video at the end. And you just add your couple things and you go. I usually don't actually edit much out of the videos. I used to say cut ums and auto. I don't have time for that anymore. Um, but anyway, you get into a role. Everything you do, you can get systemized, you can get it into a pattern, and you can do this a lot more efficiently. The other thing that was the one of the most powerful things is starting to work with joint ventures, starting to work with private money, um, starting to raise money. Um, for a long time, I wanted to do this myself. Uh, I, I didn't want to have to report to anyone. I didn't want to deal with any other people. I just, I honestly was scared to use someone else's money. If I lost my own money on doing something crazy, that was okay because that was my choice. But I didn't ever want to lose someone else's money. And honestly, for me, that was the biggest fear. I did not want to lose someone else's money. I didn't want someone else to be upset with me. And um, I waited a long time before I started taking someone else's money, but it limited my growth. Um, because I wasn't working with people, I had the money in my line of credit that I could uh, afford to do, I don't know, four projects a year. And that's as max I could get. And you're like, that's pretty good. But, you know, what about like 2022? I want to do 40 or 50 properties a year, right? Um, you want to scale this? You're going to have to bring people. You're going to have to talk about what you do. You're going to have to go on other people's podcasts. Um, you're going to have to share this. People, everyone in your, you know needs to know you're a real estate investor. Um, so you need to start doing this sooner. Um, and people don't want to do it because it makes them uncomfortable. Um, and the other side of that is, <laughs> which you're going to go really Glenn, but I wish, uh, if I was doing this over again, I'd work with fewer partners. Um, when what you don't realize is if you take on a partner, um, we're talking joint ventures, you take on a joint venture partner. When you take on a partner, you now have a new boss. Um, you have to report to them. You have to give them updates every week. And honestly, it's time consuming. Uh, the more people you have, it's time consuming. it's batching, right? Um, if I'm working with a contractor and they're um, you know, subcontracting out a whole bunch of my jobs, I can do the whole call in like 30 minutes, an hour, right? And go over eight, 10 jobs. 
Um, but if I'm going to meet them or do just one job with them, guess what? It's going to still take me half an hour because we're going to be on the phone and you're going to have all those, you know, off the start, you have your, oh, well, how was your weekend? What did you go? And because you keep getting, it's a relationship business. This is a people business. Um, you need to keep up your relationships and and you need to, you need to make relationships with these people, right? They have to, you got to bring them into your family, right? Um, Because you want them, you want everything to go perfectly for your investors. Um or as close to perfect as you can do, right? And you're going to try your hardest. Um, so uh, the more people you have, the more people you have to report to, it turns into a lot of time. If you read books about a lot of time freedom, um, it is one of those snags that comes in. So it's a catch-22. And uh, I honestly love working with people, and I love how many partners I have, and I love doing the calls. But sometimes you're like, like right now, I'm recording this in January, you have... Uh, yeah, like tax season, just tax prep, sending stuff over to your CPA, just the summaries, putting everything together, making sure, double checking all the receipts. And you're just like, I, I, it takes a lot of time, but I've spent my time talking to all these people and you're just, you just start to run out of time, right? And you're like, the goal for doing real estate investing is to free yourself to have more time, right? So it's just one of those things. It's, I love them and I really want it, but I wish I had lost calls. <laughs> because it takes a lot of time, right? And certain people take more time than other people, right? Certain people want, the, the reason they are joint venturing with you is that they want to be handheld through the whole process because they want to see how to do it, right? Um, and honestly, even with that now, I mostly, unless you're already working with me, I typically pick joint ventures that have already taken my coaching program because they understand everything I'm doing. And then you can just copy them on emails and they understand, oh, that's the email. There's the, there's the template that Glenn was talking about in class. Here's the other template. I'm copied. I'm copied. And they understand what's going on. Um, the ones where you're, it's going to take a lot of your time. I, I love working with those people because I, I love teaching. I, I really honestly love teaching. And, but the thing is it, uh, it takes a lot of time and you're just like, I've spent three hours on the phone with that joint venture every single week. And it's, um, for the amount of properties I have, it doesn't, it, it's, it's, it, I can't scale that. It, it's not scalable, right? And that's what you want to do is scale yourself and free yourself from the beast of working <laughs> because you don't want to just trade a job for another job. The other part about this is working solo doesn't make sense. Um, it is not a business if you don't have any partners, you don't have anyone working for you. Um, you're just doing real estate and it's just a, a, an investment, right? Um, so you don't have a business. So if, but you want to do a business, which is what I encourage everyone to do is you're going to need to work with people. We're still talking about partners. So what I want to also talk about is screening my partners better. Um, you know, there's people, a lot of times you won't realize, uh, the partners you're working with until you're working with them, right? Um, certain people deal with stress, good. Some people don't, don't deal with stress bad. Um, typically we do renovations. Um, uh, typically there's lots of surprises. If you watch any show on HGTV, um, stuff happens, right. And some people can deal with that and some people can't. Um, and you really won't know that ahead of, until ahead of time. Um, so honestly, what I usually say is start with a date and then before you do a marriage, go do a flip, be in and out of it, and then see if you want to continue working on these people with these people. Right. Another question that is really powerful. There's a whole screening that I do for this. Um, but one of the things that powerful question is where's the money coming from? Um, when do they need it back? So if you work with people who used to be, um, private money lenders and you, they want to convert to joint ventures because typically, usually they should earn a higher interest rate by, or a higher amount by doing it that way. Right. Um, it's usually not calculated like an interest rate. That's why I backtracked on that. Um, but when they do that, they're typically used to, like when I have my private money lenders, 
I they say, hey, I'm going to give you exactly this amount every single month. And I make sure there's way more in that bank account than what the payments are because I want to make sure all my payments go through every single time. And then I want to go um, at the end, the end of the project, say our project is going long um, and we're not going to be able to pay them on that time. Guess what? I'll move money around and I'll have the conversation with them. Hey, this project's for, we have it um, closing, but it closes a month after closing. I'm like, do you, are you okay with extending one month? Or do you need your money now? If they need their money now, I've kept old crap money and I will pay them right now. So that they have the ability to get their checks every single month on the exact same day and get paid back at the exact same time at the end, right? That's private money lending. If you go into a joint venture, contractors go long, closings take longer, buyers back out, right? Sometimes the timelines don't work. And if they're expecting to get their money at an exact date, there, it's this is not fair to anybody. It's not fair to them. It's not fair to you. Um, so you're gonna need to figure out where their money's coming from. Is this a home equity line of credit? Are they paying interest on it? What kind of interest are they paying on it? Like where? What is their story? You need to at least have a, a, a basics to it because it's going to add stress to their life, and you need to know what that stress is, where the stress is coming from, and so you can try to do your best to deal with it. Um, sometimes there's nothing you can do, but you're gonna do your best. This one is a little bit less um, real estate related, but it, it's like, uh, I just did a podcast two episodes ago, 298, but your goals, they are like your, everything you do, activities stack on each other. I did an episode talking about, you know, improving by 10% every single, uh, every time you're trying to do something and then it'll, it'll stack. And over time you realize that you're not even the same person that you started with. Right. But anyway, same thing happens with fitness. Um, I get into rips where I want to like go and exercise and go on the Bowflex and do all this stuff. And then it, it falls off, you know, something happens, you go on vacation, it breaks the habit, the whole thing collapses. If I would have stuck with some sort of even a simple exercise routine consistently, say I'm just like, I just want to do 10,000 steps every day or 20,000 steps every day, whatever your goal is. If I were to add an extra 10,000 steps compared to what I sorry, no, 100,000 or 200,000 steps compared to what I do now, do you think it would change anything? I think it would, right? So a lot of these things compound and it's these small things that turn into big things. So same thing with the, the fitness. Um, it is on my monthly goals, my quarterly goals, my annual goals, my five-year goals. I do put fitness on there, right? So don't, don't underplay that, right? It is should be important. It should be in your schedule. You know, I'm going to, you know, I have say, um, for me, I, I work typically 9am to 3pm Eastern Standard Time. And then you want to have like a 30 minute, say walk, and then 30 minutes for lunch, at least, right? Um, you can have longer whenever you want, you're the room boss, right? But you figure out what works for you, but plan some time in there, or plan to have your exercise right off the start, get your metabolism going. So when you eat some food, it starts to burn it. Um, anyway, do what you want, put it in here somewhere, right? Um, your family. Um, one of the mistakes that I, I think I made is whenever I first left my job, uh, honestly, it was a little terrifying of not getting a regular paycheck every two weeks. And I worked hard. I worked really hard. I wanted to make sure that this worked. I wanted no one to ever say like, oh, I took the leap and it didn't work. I, it was, I didn't, it wasn't going to happen. I was determined it wasn't going to happen. I was going to work harder than I've ever worked before. And when you're doing this, you need your family to be with you. Right. And I think that I worked a little too hard, um, but you need to uh, prioritize your work-life balance. 
I've done that now. I've, I stopped working at three. If you email me a lot of times, I'll get you first thing in the morning, right? You email in the evening. Before I used to respond to everything. Everything was important. I had to make sure everything was dealt with. But you know what? There is very few things that happen between like, you know, after supper and before the morning that can't be dealt with. Because I have property management in place, like house burns down. They're going to deal with it. I'll, they'll, I'll read the email in the morning. Air conditioner gets stolen. I'll deal with it in the morning. Like what is the one, what, what happens that you can't deal with in the morning? It's very few things. There's very few things that, you know, because you have property manager in the middle, right? Um, so, or project managers for the, the contracting, for the flips and stuff. You have people in the middle. So there's not much that can't wait until the morning. So anyway, prioritize. Put your phone down. Put your phone down. Um, what I did for a while was I charged my phone in my office. So it wasn't even beside my bed. I've gotten bad and I've started, you know, playing on TikTok and games or whatever before bed. Terrible for you. Um, but charge your phone in the other room. If it's a problem, I got to get back to that. Maybe, you know what? That's going to be my thing. I'm going to Costa Rica next week. That's going to be my thing when I come back. I'm going to start charging it in the other room again. So quote me on that. People who are in my mastermind, we talk regularly, check up on me. Make sure I'm doing it. Do an appraisal. Do an appraisal when you buy a property. Um, it, it's when you do an appraisal with, um, a lender, you're, it's going to be mandatory, right. In order to use the lender and those appraisals that typically come through a lender, go through an AMC appraisal management company. And those are expensive appraisals. Even if you are going to buy this yourself with cash or with a JV with cash, with private money, with cash, if you're working with cash, which I typically work almost all exclusively with cash now. Um, because that's how you get the best prices. But <clears throat> if you're working with cash still, do an appraisal. Do an appraisal as many as possible. Because what happens sometimes, and I'm not lying to you, sometimes the appraisal will come back and it's horrible. Like the appraisal quality is horrible. I've gotten properties appraised twice from the same uh property, no difference in renovation, done two weeks apart from each other. And literally, I don't know if you've listened to this podcast, because it is one of my podcasts. One of the time, first time it appraised for $40,000. And the second time it appraised for 125,000, the exact same property with no difference in renovation between the two. That's how off they can be. But this could be to your advantage. If you're buying a property and you do an appraisal, guess what? If they botch this and it comes back and says, hey, that property you're buying for hundred grand is only worth 40 grand. You have now a third party. It is not your opinion. It is a third party's opinion. You will present the appraisal to the, the, the seller of the property and say, look, I know we have this under contract for $100,000, but this is what the market is dictating right now. This isn't me. This isn't my opinion. This is a third party. And they're saying that this is way out of whack. We need to do a price reduction right? This can save you. This can save you. This saved me on one project that we did specifically I have in my mind. That's why I wanted to bring it up. We reduced the price by $20,000. And guess what? Because of that, we made money. Um, so it is important to do. Um, if you do an appraisal without an AMC, so you're not going through a lender, it is much cheaper. When you're paying for uh, um, an appraisal through um, a lender, the appraiser gets paid and the AMC gets paid, right? So if you go directly to the appraiser, the appraiser gets paid, and it's usually about half the price. So it's much cheaper to do it that way um, if you're doing cash, right? But if you're doing it, you're thinking about doing it with a lender, you could do it that way, and it'll still work out. It's just a little bit more expensive, right? Plan as if you're doing a loan, even if you're not. 
run your numbers to make sure that there's enough money in there to do a loan as a purchase loan, as um, a fix and flip loan. Do it as if you want planning to flip this, put in the numbers so that you can check to see when you sell the property, or sorry, if you don't sell the property, that you could refinance this and rent it. Have multiple exits, factor in financing, make sure it's a number in your sheet. You will thank me because whenever something doesn't appraise right or doesn't sell right or someone made a mistake somewhere along the line, you will have that as a backup plan or the market changes, which is very powerful right now. Very important. Run it both ways. Um, in the course, the calculator that does this, really simple entry form on the first page, and then it builds out all the different options. If you were going to do this as a fix and flip, this is how it would run. If you're going to do this as a, a burr, like you're going to refinance this and keep this property, this is how it would work. If you're going to do this as a straight purchase without a refinance, this is how the numbers would work. This is how it would work if you did it with private money. This is how it would work if you did it with joint venture, a joint venture and a flip, a joint venture and a burr, a joint venture and a lease option. It Because a lot of this is a lot of work to calculate it. So I just made an Excel sheet, put the entry in, and it fills all the rest in. And then you know where you're going to be. So then you can just add some conditional formatting. You're like, yes, no, this works for me. This doesn't work for me. And you know what? You want to analyze those 100 properties every single month to get your one deal. That's how you do it right? You want to scale all this. You want to make it easier for yourself. So whatever you want to do, that's how I do it. Um, the other part. So I was plan, do, uh, plan as if you're doing a loan, even if you're not. The other part is plan as if you're doing a joint venture, even if you're not. What do I mean by that? Make sure there's enough money to pay a joint venture. If you're like buying deals that you're like, ah, no one would ever do this deal if I did this as a joint venture. Like say, oh, we're going to do this flip and it makes 20 grand. And that means that the joint venture would get 10 grand and I would get 10 grand. And even if you like, you think about that and you're like, hey, if I was going to go pitch this to somebody, would someone do this? And what kind of return would they get? And if you're like, they probably wouldn't do it, you shouldn't probably do this deal because your numbers are too tight. And if the market drops, you're going to be upside down, right? Your numbers are too tight tight, right? So plan to do the deal as if you're doing a joint venture, even if you're not. And my last point, actually maybe one of my last points is I would have started coaching sooner. I love, I talked about this briefly, but I love coaching. I love sharing. Um, I love teaching people how to buy and sell in the United States. I love looking at their numbers and seeing how they worked and where they made the mistake that they because that's what coaching is. It, there is a one-on-one -on -one element to make sure that you are buying these properties right, right? So I want to go through these deals and see like, oh, you pulled comps, but they're in Westvale instead of whatever, right? You're in the wrong neighborhood. Those comps, you're on the wrong side of the expressway or the highway or the freeway or whatever, right? You're on the wrong side of the tracks. You're on the your, your comps are no good. You've made mistake here. You you're, you looked at your, your numbers when you filled in what you're getting for lending, those are numbers from last year. You won't get that kind of lending right now. I just had another student and they just got a quote and those are not the current lending numbers because lending numbers do change, right? And you're like, they might say, oh, I got that quote like two months ago. Numbers changed, right? So your numbers aren't right. Anyway, I love doing this. I love coaching. Um, uh, there is a financial element to it, but I, I love teaching that part. And it's honestly one of the fa my favorite parts about doing the real estate. And I get thrilled. I've been trying to bring more and more of them on the podcast. If you're a regular listener, you're starting to hear them coming out almost every like three weeks. I put another student on, but I love the success stories. I love it. So anyway, um, 
Maybe I'll talk about that quickly, briefly. So what the coaching is, is it's like 25 hours of material. And then we do um, a mastermind because I want to be able to answer your questions and teach more stuff that's more specific. Like this last, uh, last month, we just talked about all the new laws that are coming in in Canada Revenue and with the IRS, with FAPI and um, all the uh, identification you have to do for your corporations. Anyway, all the new laws are coming up for both corporations. And then we do deal analysis. And anyway, we, we build the whole thing up, right? So that it, you, you understand, you see lots of deals. You saw me, you see how I analyze it right from the start, from getting an email to putting an offer in, all the different steps it goes through, all the emails, all the templates, everything's open. Um, so anyway, there's that part of it. And then there's a Facebook group, a WhatsApp group. And we just chat, we answer questions, we work as a group because sometimes they're like, hey, should I work advance? Uh, should I invest in Atlanta? And people will message me directly. I'm like, put it in the group chat because I don't personally invest in Atlanta. I still think it's a great market, but why don't you put it on the group chat and someone who does invest in Atlanta can give you some feedbacks on neighborhoods and everything else, right? So we have that group element. And then I have one-on-one uh, -on -one coaching sessions. So if you're working on deals, you're trying to close deals or something you're working on, um, we set up a time. We sit down for half an hour and we go through the call. We go through and make sure that you have what you need. So anyway, if you're interested in that, glennsutherland.com slash coaching. You've probably heard the ad in the podcast every single week. I should probably update it. But anyway, I think that's it. Um, honestly, we're at 300 episodes and I really appreciate you guys coming and listening. I really appreciate how much the Facebook group has grown. I think we've doubled in size since uh, like I'm recording this in January. Since October, we've doubled in size. That's how fast it's growing. Um, authentically, there's no advertising for my group. I don't. You'll never see an ad, at least not yet. There's no ads for you. <laughs> um, so um, I'm thrilled, to, and I really appreciate you guys uh, listening to the show and uh, working with me and supporting me. Um, so let's just keep growing together. Um, if you have topics, you're like Glenn. I really want to have someone talk about something. It's really. It's like I really want details on a certain topic. Email me, glenn at glennsutherland.com. Uh, I'll go find, I'll either do an episode myself if it's something that I am passionate about and know really well, or I'll find someone else who wants to talk about it. I'll find who's the best and I'll leverage their time and bring them on the show and we'll do an episode on it. Like, let's make this the best podcast. If you need something, let me know. I'll find it for you. Anyway, thank you for listening, everyone. Um, I'll, yeah, you'll hear from me again next week. Thanks, everyone. Bye. That was a nice video. Bye.